In our passage today, we are entering into the final week of the life of Jesus Christ before his crucifixion. This is Sunday of Holy Week. Uh, we even call it Palm Sunday. And even though that's a little bit off, that's where our story is today. So I want you to understand that with his sacrifice being so close, everything that Jesus says is very pinpointed at our hearts. Every command is to be understood. and It's just vastly important. Every action we are to take. We're really to get what he has to say. It's critical to understanding to follow his example. So we're going to look at three commands that we are to obey. Three actions that we are to immediately take. I'm going to give them to you now. We'll talk about them. Or you can let your mind wander. But here you go. Go. Weep. Pray. Go. Weep. And pray. Go. Go without delay to the place and to the people that God has waiting for you this spiritual adventure. Weep. Weep over the lostness of our community. Weep over the poor condition of the souls of people that we love. Weep over their impending judgment that is coming. And pray. Fervent prayer. Aligning our hearts with the Father's heart. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of each disciple. So what is God going to stir in you today? Let's look at the scriptures and, and go through it again here. In verse 28. After he said these things, he was going ahead to Jerusalem. After he said these things, what things? Well, to kind of get a running start, an on-ramp here in the free, previous verses, Jesus talked about stewardship. He talked about how different people were given uh, different measures of gifts. And they're to be used for God's glory. Some have more, some have less, but it doesn't matter. We are to use those things that God has blessed us with. And we're blessed if we're faithful because God will give us more, give us more responsibility. Great or small, it doesn't matter. But if we do nothing with it, even that which we have is taken from us. So with that said, after saying that, he, he turns his face toward Jerusalem to go into what's going to be the last few days of his life. At this time, Jerusalem is bustling with people. It's the feast of the Passover. Most scholars say there's probably about two and a half million people descended upon Jerusalem. I mean, it's like the whole nation was there. If you've ever been in a, a crowded city uh, in this world, just people on top of each other, that's the idea here. Jesus heads into Jerusalem, all these people. It's this big platform. And Jesus is ready to make a bold statement to two and a half million people. I am the Messiah. I am the son of the living God. And as we read, he planned to ride into crowded Jerusalem on a young donkey to dramatically show that he's the son of God. And I think Jesus had all of this mapped out. I don't think this was a sudden thought. Oh, you know, I think I'll get a donkey and ride, in, ride into town. He's been thinking this through, praying it through with the Father. There's this deliberate game plan. That game plan is ultimately going to lead to his crucifixion. And thank goodness to his resurrection. 
But this riding on a colt, a donkey, the first fold, was a deliberate act of proclaiming kingship. According to the Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah. I want to share that with you because um, all the people knew this prophecy in Zechariah. It says, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just He's endowed with salvation. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. So a grand statement is being made here about Jesus himself. He understood the price of making such a bold proclamation of being the Messiah, of being the Son of God. But he couldn't back away from it because that's who he was. So I think he had this prearranged meeting. He's got these unknown to us disciples over here in the village. We don't know who they are. Their names are not given to us. But there's a game plan being worked out in providence and in ordination. And he's got his disciples who are with him. And they're not really aware of the bigger picture they only know that he gives them this command. And notice our first command in our scriptures in verse 29 and following. It's to go. Go. So when he approached Bethage, Bethany, near the mount that's called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples. We don't know who those are. Tradition says it was Peter and John. I want you to go into this village ahead of us. And when you get there, you're going to see this colt tied on which no one has ever sat. I want you to untie it and bring it here. And by the way, if, if anyone asks, hey, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, they went away. They found it just as he uh, had told them. And they're untying the colt. And its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Does this not sound like a, like a spy novel? It does to me, you know, this code phrase, the Lord has need of it. It's like some drug deal going down. I don't know, you know, you're, you're doing this. What, what, what's happening here, you know? Oh, the Lord has need of it, you know. I mean, is this not a, a strange request? If you don't know what the end game is or the end result, to put this in, in, in modern day lingo, it'd be like, hey, I want you to go to town. I want you to find a brand new Lamborghini. It's never been driven. It's got zero miles. And I want you to bring it to me. I mean, that's how strange this request had to be to these two disciples. The key word here, though, is go. I want you to go do this. Now, Jesus has it all lined up. Disciples are a sent people. We're a going people. Jesus says go. We're to go immediately. In fact, that word go is used in the scriptures 1,500 times. Think about that. 1,500 times. Go. Every Bible hero was told to go and do something. Abraham, I want you to get up and go. I want you to leave the city you're in, and you're going to go to a place over here. Well, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. Just go. We don't know the end story. Moses, I want you to go. 
Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. How's this going to shake? Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. In our agro class, we've been studying these uh, stories of Joshua. These adventures that are always lined up in the providence of God. And, and God didn't say to, to Joshua, go take the city. He said, Joshua, I want you to go and receive the city. I've already given it to you. This has been preordained. I've given it to you already. You don't have to fight for it. You just march around the city seven times and, and, and receive your inheritance. But you got to go. And you got to march around seven times. Going will always lead to some interesting spiritual adventures. And you or I are a sent people, if you're a believer in Christ. We're a going people. You remember Matthew 28, all authority, Jesus says, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me on earth. So I want you to go, therefore, go, go. And I want you to make disciples of all the nations. God has these people lined up for us. These encounters. And we can't see it all the time. We don't know the end result. But we're just called to go. I uh, love these verses in, in Acts. Because I want more experiences like this. My experiences in the supernatural have been limited and perhaps you too. But, but I love these verses in Acts chapter 8. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and go. Go to the road that descends from Jerusalem to God. Go south. Go, go toward Waco. Hang out at Magnolia Cafe. You know, the desert road. He got up and went. Okay, this is interesting. I'm headed down there. What's going to happen? So he got up and went. There's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who's in charge of all of her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was returning home on this southern route, sitting in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip's sitting there. Okay, I'm, I'm here. Okay, I see this guy. He's doing something in his chariot, and the spirit says, go up and join his chariot. And as you read this, the guy comes to faith in Christ. Because God's got this ordained situation going on over here. And he's, all he ever says to us is, is go. And then we find out as the game plan unfolds before our very eyes. I don't know about you, but I want more of these kind of Acts chapter 8 experiences. Because God is always sending us into some spiritual adventure. But we have to be willing to obey immediately. So God's got this Ethiopian already lined up for Philip. He just had to go and obey. And so I want you to understand, every day you and I are going. We're sent people. And if I ask you in the morning, you know, where are you going? You'd probably say, well, I'm going to school or I'm going to work. No, 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 no. God is sending you into the harvest at school. God is sending you into the harvest at your place of work. He is sending you to have these spiritual encounters with people that he has lined up for you. 
It may be at a coffee. It may be at the soccer field. It may be at a Super Bowl party this evening. But we have to open our eyes and look around to see where God is working and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if you're like me, you may be wondering, you know, why do I never have these cool, ordained, spiritual encounters like this, like we read about in the book of Acts? Well, one of our trainers in discipleship, he said something, I wrote it down. He said, if you want to see the signs and wonders of the early church, if you want to experience the signs and wonders of the early church, you have to do the things the early church did. They listened to the Holy Spirit. They went. They were always ready for what God was doing around them. And as you, we're going to see in a moment, it has to do with fervent praying as well. Someone said, that's why it's called the book of Acts. It's not the book of good intentions. It's things that people did in response to what the Holy Spirit was saying to do. Uh, Pastor Jerry mentioned a few weeks ago that we have to be willing to die to do the work of God. We don't just get up in the morning and say, oh, okay, I'm going to do this and this. We have to be willing to die. Say, okay, I'm going into the harvest today at work. I'm going into the neighborhood. I'm going to the gym. We've got to be willing to die to ourselves. We've got to be willing to die to our comfort. We've got to be willing to die to our calendars in order to say yes to Jesus Christ. So I want to give you an exercise this morning. I want you to get your phone out. You have permission now. Everybody get your phone out. Except those of you who left it at home and you feel very strange not having your phone with you. It's always a strange feeling. You can turn it on. You mute it, please. We don't want to hear anything from YouTube. But uh, I want you to turn your phone on. I want you to go to your calendar. And I want you to go to March the 23rd. Saturday, March the 23rd. Oh, somebody's already got it down, flashing it over there. All right. This is going to be our first training, 9 o'clock in the morning, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So put that on your calendar, block it out, because that day we're going to talk about what does it mean to be going? What does it mean to, what does that look like? And uh, we're going to be giving you some tools. We are going to practice, and we're going to practice, and we're going to practice, and then we're going to model it, and then we're actually going to go out, and we're going to knock on a few doors and see if there are some spiritual adventures for us. Now, don't let this door knocking scare you. No, let it scare you, because <laughs> it's going to scare you. It still scares me. But we are responsible for going. God's responsible for setting up the situations for us. Uh, your staff's been doing this. Last uh, Tuesday, John and Melissa and I, we went, we knocked on, I don't know, John, what, 12 doors? Two people opened the door. We were able to say a prayer with them. I kind of come back and go, well, I'm not sure that was worth it. But see, I, I don't have the full picture either. All I know is we are to go. And maybe that will open up something in somebody's heart for it to happen. Now, the other stories we'll share with you on, on March 23rd, 
we're men. I mean, you know, we knocked on the door, say, can we pray for you? I think this is Isabel. I, we, this young lady comes out, yes, grabs our hands and wants to be prayed over. Oh, well, well, I think we came to the right house today, you know. It's this going. These two disciples around Jesus, they obeyed. They obeyed immediately. They cast their fears aside. They cast their questions aside. They went. They got the colt. They brought it to Jesus. Now, these next verses, we see how the story unfolds. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their colts on the colt. They put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they'd seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, Matthew's Gospel talks about how they also lay down the palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They put him on this colt. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But notice some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus basically said, Not going to happen. It's who I am. And even if they were quiet, all of creation is celebrating this moment. Jesus was proclaiming his kingship as he rode this cult into Jerusalem. Now, just a few simple things to say about these verses. I'm trying to think the application of it. Uh, one thought came to my mind is uh, don't get carried away by the applause of people. And don't live for the ovation of men. The purpose in Jesus doing this was just to say, hey, I'm the son of God. He, he wasn't there for the applause. He wasn't there to say, man, how cool is this? They're doing palm branches and laying down their coats in front of me. And as you've probably heard in sermons before, you know, the hearts of men can be very fickle. And one day they're yelling, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few days later they're yelling, crucify him. Proverbs 27, 21 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold. And a man is tested by the praise accorded him. So, you know, don't get carried away when you do a really good job and everybody, man, you're wonderful, we want to give you an award. And you're thinking, well, just give me the money, you know. Hey, we don't live for the applause of man. We live to be who we are, children of the King, to live for Him, and to live for Him only. The second comment I have on this is uh, don't listen to the criticism either. Don't listen to the rebukes you're going to receive because you're doing what God told you to do. You're obeying and you're going. Uh, don't listen to the critics. The only applause we need to live for is to God. To hear him say, way to go, child, good job, well done. 
Thank you for obeying me. Way to go. Thank you for letting me use you to bear fruit in my kingdom. Thank you for listening to me when you didn't have all the details and you went anyway. We live for that. And don't listen to the rebukes. Don't listen to your fears when God says go. Because it's who you are. You're his child going in to do harvest work. You're his ambassador in this kingdom. You're his witness. Don't let others sway you about going and following Jesus. Don't listen to Satan's lies saying, well, well, God can't use you. He can't work miracles through you. The only rebuke you ever need to heed is the voice of God when he says firmly but lovingly. Say that with me. Repeat it. Firmly but lovingly. Ready? Go. Firmly but lovingly. The only rebuke you ever need to heed is God when he says firmly but lovingly. Don't do that again. That's not who you are. You're a part of my family. Go and sin no more. We're a going people, a sent people, a 24-7 people. That's a command. And next we see an example of Jesus to follow. And that's where we see weep. Scripture says that when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now get this, in the middle of this great celebration, this triumphal entry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus begins to cry this huge emotional sobbing. In the middle of the celebration, as he descends Mount Olives, he begins to go back up and he sees the, the holy city in front of him. He's moved to weep. We live in a very broken world. There's manipulation all around. There's mistrust all around. There's anger. There's bitterness. And for me, man, my friends and people, I'm, the last few weeks, there's depression all around. I don't know what's going on in this world. Everybody seems to be depressed. There's laws legalizing what God calls sin. And it causes a lot of Christians to get angry and up in arms. And they get filled with this vitriolic condemnation of people. Notice what Jesus did. He wept. When's the last time you wept? You just cried over the condition of this world. Over the condition of people that you love. What's the posture of your soul? Too many times it's, well, he started doing drugs again and that's it. He's not welcomed at our family gatherings anymore. Man, she is sleeping with the boss. I hope she gets fired. Abortions up to the time of birth. What country am I living in? 
Jesus, he weeps. And notice why he weeps. They didn't know the things that make for peace. Their lives are a wreck. They don't even know where the peace is going to come from. They're not experienced. They're broken people. He weeps because these spiritual things have been hidden from their eyes. For them, the door of salvation is beginning to close. And for many of our friends and neighbors, that door has been closing for decades. It continues to close and it ought to move us. He says there's a wall coming. There's a barricade coming. But it's not a wall to keep people out. It's a wall that's going to keep you hemmed in. Your rebellion, your sin, it's going to hem you in and it's going to destroy you. And within just a few decades, this rebellious people are going to be surrounded by the Romans. There's going to be a siege. They're going to be slaughtered. The city is just going to be burned to the ground. And Jesus sees it and he weeps over it. When's the last time we just wept over the condition of people's hearts? Maybe it should be more like, Lord, he's doing drugs again. And Lord, it's killing me. It's killing him. He doesn't know the things that make for peace in his life. And Lord, I, I can't let him be around my kids in this condition. But Lord, show me, how do I go to him? How do I set this boundary? Help me do this out of love and not anger. Lord, she's sleeping with the boss. How do I pray for her? There's so many things that are just being hidden from her eyes. And I can't just sit back and do nothing. How, how do I go? How do I reach her? How do I show compassion, not condemnation? Lord, make her heart soft to my presentation of your plan for her. I fear the consequences of choices that she's making. Even when Jesus speaks of their impending judgment, he doesn't gloat over it. Uh, you're going to get yours. It's, he, just, he just weeps. Judgment is coming. And for many it's already here. There's a wall surrounding them that they cannot escape. Don't take pleasure in it. Weep in it. Go weep and pray. Well, Jesus ends this Sunday weeping for the people. And we come to Monday. I assume it's in the morning. The scripture says that Jesus entered the temple. He began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written that my father's house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him because he came riding in on the colt declaring to be the son of God. And they couldn't find anything that might do, for all the people were hanging on to every word that he said. So Jesus weeps for people on Sunday. Now he enters the temple and he drives out these money changers. Yeah, he's upset. Why isn't he weeping this time? 
Is he mad at a hornet as the, at these money changers? They're taking advantage of the people. I don't think so. I think he's upset because the sacred purposes of God are being misused. This isn't a place for money changes. This is a place for prayer. They lost the purpose of the temple. Changing money wasn't the purpose. The honor of God was being defamed. The glory of God was being slandered. And so he clarifies the purpose of the church again. Prayer. And in Matthew's gospel it says prayer for all the nations. It's not a house for teaching, although it clearly says he was teaching daily in the temple. It's not a house of fellowship, although that's important too. It's a house of prayer. Would you come to church on any given Sunday if teaching and fellowship were minimized, but there was a whole lot of time spent in prayer? Don't mean to be a heretic. I'm just asking a question. I'm not sure what that would look like, to be honest. Fervent prayer, where we connect with the Father's heart. As Jerry mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, just to sit down with God and, Lord, what's on your heart? There's probably a lot of things on God's heart, but if I could direct us to the Lord's Prayer, I can give you three things. First one is worship. Father, hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven. God wants our worship. He wants the worship of these people that we're around who are worshiping all these other things. He wants his kingdom to come. That's on his heart. God's what's on your heart. I want my kingdom to come. And I want you to go. What's on your heart? Thy will be done. I've got some spiritual adventures for you. Fervent prayer is where we find God's heart and we find that it burns the brightest when His children come in contact with lostness because He wants all people to worship Him. He wants His kingdom to come. He wants His will to be done. Is that what fervent prayer is for you? Fervent prayer, desperate prayer. Maybe even emotional sobbing prayer. This is not ringing the bell like God's a butler and say, oh, I'm, I need a few things today. Yeah, I, I see this more like warfare in the trenches. You're on the walkie-talkie, you know. We're in a tough situation here, Lord. There's people to save. We need reinforcement. We need help. We need support. In the late 1980s, the early 1990s, People who study mission movements around the world said there were between 10 and 20 movements of God going on around our world. 10 to 20 movements of God. A movement of God is when the gospel just catches fire among a group of people. And it just begins to spread like wildfire. And there's this this huge multiplication of churches and churches and churches, even to the second, third, fourth, fifth generation. A lot of times it's among unreached people groups. And something quite amazing has happened 
praise God, of the last 30 years, there are now been identified about 640 movements of God going on right now. 640 in our world. And of course now all these mission organizations and missionaries that are huddling together, talking about these things they're seeing, trying to discover, you know, what are, what are the, the patterns? Is there something that we can do to, to replicate this? How much of this is the province of God? And... Not to tease you, but these are the things, the patterns, the tools that we're going to share with you on March the 23rd. And could it be that through our going and our weeping and our praying that we would see a movement of God in our church, in our community, in our family, in the cities in which we live. If you think uh, knocking on doors is awkward, we're going to do something for a few minutes that may be equally awkward. I just want us to pray. And uh, there's just sometimes something eerie about silence. <laughs> but I just want to spend two, three, four, five minutes in prayer. Be a good time just to confess sin. Be a good time to die to self, to listen to the voice as best you can. Lord, is, are you sending me somewhere today? What, what, what's the rest of this day look like? Is there a spiritual adventure you have for me? Is there an email I can write? Is there a neighbor I can go visit? Is there someone at a Super Bowl party I can, I can reach out to? I think it would be wonderful if there's just a lot of weeping going on around this place this morning. That the heart of God would so touch us for the condition of the world and condition of our lost friends. The judgment that is coming, the peace that they don't know. And how we're going to respond to them in their lostness. So let's just start. Let's pray.